0: a message on the topic of dedication this evening. The Lord saved me from a little bit of tribulation this afternoon. I got a message on the way out to work. Say, hey, I need someone on standby. I'll let you guys know here in a couple hours. Um, not feeling well. Uh, my intentions this afternoon were to cut some crown molding and hang some crown molding, which I had Zero experience with whatsoever. So that was going to be a true tribulation. And I got a little taste of that the other day. Maybe some of you carpenters could come out and help me or something. Um, But pastor saved me from doing that. So thank you, pastor. We'll uh, spend a little bit more time on YouTube in the meanwhile, and we'll get it figured out. (laughs) Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read a handful of verses here. We're going to look at the topic of dedication, and we're going to get into this thing. Joshua Judges Ruth. Joshua, Judges, then the book of Ruth, towards the front of your Bible. I really like this book. Four short chapters and packed full of doctrine. Packed full. Ruth, chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 11. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husband's? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tear for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest I will go, and where thou lodgest I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking under her. Uh, brother Derek, see you in the back there. You mind praying for us this evening, brother? Um, Amen. Thank you. All right. Here as we come to the book of Ruth, uh, I, I got this message together in preparation for the topic of dedication. And all throughout our Bibles, we see people who are dedicated. All throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, you name it. All throughout your Bible, you can learn lessons from dedicated folks. And then on the opposite hand of that, you see folks who are traitors of God. But then you dial that thing in a little bit and you look at dedicated people. Christians, the ones we We lean on, and we learn from, and we know to be true uh, Bible heroes of the faith, and they're over there in the, the Hall of Fame, in the Hall of Faith, in the book of Hebrews, and you narrow that thing down, and you even see those dedicated people struggle. They struggle. So I was reminded as I'm looking at this topic, and I'm studying this topic, that it's no doubt, it's no, it should be no question in your mind as a Christian that we will struggle. Right? We need to learn from history, folks, and I'm telling you, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, we need to learn from history, and the the best place and source of history you can learn from is this book. You can learn what to expect, sometimes even when to expect it. And you can get those things from history, and we can learn from this book. And I encourage you to learn from other people. That way you're not ending up making mistakes that you sure could have passed up a long time ago. Now when I think of dedication, I admire the man Joshua. But you know what? I really think Ruth shines bright in this category. What I love about Joshua, though, is his willingness to just worship the Lord. You know, over there when he was just, man, just just serving Moses, he was just Moses' water boy. He was there in the tabernacle, and God had came down. And he'd met with them in the tabernacle, and Moses and Joshua were just praising God. And God had other plans for Moses. He says, "All right, I got something else for you to do." But Joshua says, "I'm just going to stay here and worship the Lord for just a little bit longer." I think that's dedication. When a man doesn't care what's going on, but he sees the importance of his relationship with his father and himself, and he says, hey, I'm just going to stay here a little, bit while, a little while longer and worship the one and show him how much he means to me. Joshua's willingness to worship is unsurpassed. But I love Ruth for this example, or for this uh, particularly. She's got a desire to do right, No matter what people think about her. No matter what people think about her, we know that she's not a Jew. She's a Moabite. She's a Moabitist woman. And Naomi and her family go down to Moab because there's a lack of bread in the land of Bethlehem, their home. And they go there and her children find wives. Orpah was one of them and Ruth is the other. You guys know the story probably well. So she is now in the storyline, as you know, these four short chapters, she's now coming back to her, a land that's not hers. And she's clinging under Naomi, and she says, I want your people to be my people. I want your God to be my God. I'm going to forget all else and cling only unto thee. And Ruth has got a, a desire to do right, no matter what the people, those Jewish people, when she comes into that town, a new place, brand new place, brand new sites, Brand new sounds, brand new smells, whole new culture. She's coming there and she doesn't know what to expect. She only has the little bit of knowledge that she knows from Naomi and her family and the short amount of time she spent with them there, maybe 10 years or so it was, according to chapter 1. She doesn't know what the people are going to think about her, but she's got a desire to do right. And you know what we need now more than ever? We need Christians that have a desire to do right, no matter what people are thinking about them. I want to do right. I'm telling you right now, I want to do right. You're in church here on a Wednesday night, I got a feeling you want to do right. Now, I want to tell you this, it's easy to do right when we're in this place. We're here, we're in church, we're talking right, we're dressed right, we're acting right, we're on time, except Rob, of course. We're doing all the things we need to be doing, and, and we're here with the brethren, and It's good. And God's blessing and God's taking care of this church. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easy to serve God when we're, we're here. Yeah. But I know where the rest of my life leads me. And I've got to go home to screaming kids and a yelling. wife. I mean, not a yelling wife. <laughs> I got to go out in this world and things get real. Right? We have bliss. We have harmony. We have unity here, don't we? Yeah. And that's why I think God's blessing this place is because there's good attitudes in this place. God sees it. He wants to fellowship with us. Because I got a feeling you guys want to fellowship with him. But I want to be dedicated to something bigger than me. Because I've realized that in this life, God pays dividends. He does. Now, I just witnessed some work colleagues not all that long ago get sworn in. What that means is they hit their one-year probation they get the new uniform, they get the new helmet shield, they get the badge, they get the title of probationary firefighter taken off of them, and they get made firefighter. Those men, and I think there was four of them standing out there, they lined them up on the apparatus bay floor, the four of them all stood out there, and uh, the CEO and the chief and everyone came out there, and we had their little ceremony, and these men were just, we call them they are made men now. No, no longer are they probationary firefighters. No longer are they just good for washing dishes. They serve a little bit more of a purpose now, if we so say they do. But when they put on that uniform, they're now taking a new title. And, and what happens in this life and in any profession, any career, whether you be a pastor, a waitress, a clerk, a cop, a fireman, a, a nurse, no matter what you do, you go out of this place and you put on a uniform, but it doesn't change who you are. It just puts you underneath the microscope. Let me try to explain this just a little bit here. Every time you put that uniform on, it's going to cost you something. Waitress, store clerk, pastor, whatever. You put that uniform on, you go out. it's implied that you're going out in this world. And people come to you and they see what you're wearing. They see who you are. They see, hey, you've got the apron on because you're working uh, behind the counter. They see you've got the uniform on. They see you've got the scrubs on. They see you've got the suit and tie on. Now they've got someone to aim at when they've got an issue, right? They don't see the person behind the uniform, right? They, they, they see the uniform. That's all they see. That's all they care about. Most people, right? As Christians, we've got a little bit different perspective because we try to see the souls of men like our Savior. Jesus Christ saw the souls of men. Is that not Right? But people, they go out in this world, and they, they, they see the uniform, and now all they see is you as a, a dartboard for all of their problems. And now when these colleagues, they get sworn in. My work colleagues get sworn in. Give me a minute here. I'm trying to, trying to draw this picture here. They get, they get made. They've got the new uniform. Now, when something goes wrong, we have somewhere... Someone that is now more accountable than when they just wore, for lack of better terms, no uniform. They get made, they get put under the microscope now, and now they're not just a mopper and a toilet scrubber. They're now one of us. They've now got more responsibility, they've now got more understanding of what goes on, what we do, where we go. And as Christians, people are going to come looking to you because you wear the uniform. They're going to see some things that are different in you because you know some things that maybe they do not know. You're wearing something. You're representing someone bigger than yourselves, just like when those men stood up on that line they says, do you you promise that you're going to abide by not only the SOPs of this department, but the, the local jurisdiction which you operate under? Raise your right hand and say, I do. I do. All right, you're now being held accountable because we're giving you the badge, we're giving you the uniform. And as Christians, you become... Part of a team, he become part of God's team. He become part of His army, right? Love when my little girl runs around and says, "We're in the Lord's army, yes, sir." And it's just, it's cute, right? We're brainwashing them in a sense, yeah, amen. But it's cute because we're getting them ready to wear the uniform. We're getting them ready to fight the fight. We're getting them ready to be able to be held accountable for what they've learned. Be held accountable to who they know, the Savior, their Savior. I hope that makes a little bit of sense for you, but when you go out in the world and you put this uniform on, I'm going to tell you this. You may come home with dirt under your fingernails grease on your arms, and you can jump in that shower and you can, you can scrub yourself and wash yourself off as best as you can. But you ever just get in that position, been out in the world all day, all week, worn out, like God I'm washing this flesh but I can't wash these eyes I can't wash these ears, sometimes even the things I smell, Lord I I need to get cleaned up I need to get cleaned up and we know where to go to get cleaned up and we know we get washed by the water of the word but Christians with a desire to do right also comes now hear me You've got to understand, you don't know in what condition you're going to return home in. I'm saying back to your place of refuge. This is a place of refuge here, but you've got another place of refuge back in your homes. And praise God, we've got homes to return to. But you never know in what condition you're going to return back to that place. And Naomi's going, or Ruth is going somewhere new. And Naomi's even brought back to a land that she's been distant from for what the Bible says 10 years. It's kind of starting a new journey in life. And we come here for a cool drink of water and we come here to get strength for the day, strength for the week, and strength for when the pressure gets applied in our lives. And Naomi has put into Ruth and put into Ruth and put into Ruth so much so that in verse 18 in our chapter here, the Bible says when Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left speaking with her. She says... This girl's convinced. She knows that the God of Israel is the right God. She knows that the people I'm going to bring her into fellowship with are the right people. She knows the Moabites and the strange gods that they serve, they're not the right ones. She knows where her place of refuge is now going to be back in the the land of Bethlehem here. But she's gotten strength. She's gotten strength from, well, her husband at the time that was short-lived there and now strength from Naomi so much so that she's, she's... She's steadfastly minded and she's dedicated to that woman saying, hey, I will follow you until death do us part, Naomi. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go with you. And when the pressure got applied in Ruth's life, she says, Ruth or she says, Naomi, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. Now, Christians, you can mark my words when I say this. When the pressure gets applied in our lives. You're going to question what it is you signed up for. You think that statement there, they went. You think that statement here, you see this dedication. She says, Naomi, till death do us part, I'm following with you. Let's go back. You think there was an, an ounce of doubt, an ounce of fear? It's like, what did I just commit myself to? We are two widow womans going back to a land that we have not been in 10 years, and Ruth has never been. She's going to a strange place. I'm trying to set the stage here for just a moment. You're going to question what it is you signed up for, though, Christian. And when the pain and the pressure gets applied, when things get not quite what you thought they were going to get, when everything seems to be falling apart in your life like they did in Naomi and Ruth's life, when the pressure gets pushed on you, you're going to question it. I know I have. I know when things get rough or we go through a rough patch, I know what goes through our minds. I know when things in my Christian life, when my relationship with God isn't just what it should be or what it ought to be. I know what I'm talking about. You ever question it when things get rough? You ever question this Christian life? Say, God could have really used you. I think I've already learned this lesson. I'm not sure I need to be taught it again. You may question what it is you signed up for. You might say, What do you know about pain and pressure, young man? I'm telling you what, I know enough for now. Me, I know enough for now. I do. And I'll tell you a little bit about myself here from the Scriptures. In Psalm 38, the Bible says, My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. We just touched the surface of this in youth group uh, the other uh, other day, so... uh, youngins, just bear with me for just a minute. I want to develop this thing just a little bit further. You know what my foolishness does? Makes my wounds stink. <laughs> That's my fault, psalmist says. But here's what I love about the Savior. Psalm 147 says this He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. You know, you can make yourself really stink in the sight of God. You can really make yourself stink in the sight of the brethren. You can really make yourself stink in the sight of your spouse. You name it, you can make yourself stink. You know what those wounds do? They rot. Something called tissue necrosis, and they just, it just festers and it grows and it spreads at what seems to be the speed of light. Man, I've seen bed sores so big you can stick your head in it. That's, that's, that's what wounds do they spread like cancer, they're toxic. But here's a savior for you. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. You ever just bind up a wound? You know, with kids, you've got all sorts of distractions. You do you try blowing on them when they're babies and distracting them with this and that and ice packs, and it never seems to help. You know, the only thing that seems to help is when you get that leg or that arm and you, you get it bound up and you get the Band-Aid on the boo-boo and there. Oh, they can finally breathe. You know? God binds up the wounds of the broken hearted. Yeah. Oh, I'm thankful for that. You know, sometimes our wounds are embarrassing. In the line of work I live in, a lot of times we got slip and falls on the, the, the people movers and the escalators and all these things. And now as kids are screaming and bawling, a lot of times we come to adults and no doubt they're hurting. But more times than not, it's just embarrassing. Just embarrassing. They may be bleeding out like crazy and they're just more worried about who's watching. And they're like, like they need to go to the emergency room right away, Right? No, I'm just embarrassed. I'm going to catch my flight. Everything's good. And the next thing you know, they're passing out on you. But thank God. Thank God, but we're not defined by our wounds. But you know who is? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus Christ is defined by our wounds. Turn over with me, if you would, to First Peter chapter 2. I'm so thankful that I've got a Savior that would be willing to be defined by his wounds. And he looks at me and he says, what sin? What wounds? Don't you know I already bound those up in gauze and band-aids? Don't you know I've already put the ointment on them? Don't you know I've already taken care of them? I've iced them, put the heat pack on them. I've iced it and I've raised it and I've elevated it and i put compression on it. He says, what are you talking about? A little scar there, you're good as new, man. You'll be as good as new. My Savior had wounds. First Peter chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 19, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it? If when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Let's look at that again. But if when ye do well and you suffer for it, maybe trying to give out a witness, right if you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently this is acceptable with god well why is that acceptable with god well because we like to fight right we don't like to suffer for doing right we like to fight i'm telling you what well, christian we need to learn to fight our pride god says this is this is good for you this is good for you for this is thankworthy this is thankworthy these are good things for you let's look at verse 20 of 1 for even here too were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. who, When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. He bare our sins in his body. He says, by his stripes, we are healed. That's a man who knew how to take wounds, not expecting anyone, not expecting anyone, not his friends, not his father, not anyone to come down and heal him up and patch him up and to bind up his wounds. He spent his whole life ministering to people. When he had a need, there was no one to come bind up our Savior's wounds. How does this world portray a sinless man? I got thinking about this the other day. I had the, most, I had the most bizarre morning the other day at work. and I get into work, and we start talking. There's a new lieutenant there, and we get talking during roll call, and it ended up turning into an hour-long conversation. It was fantastic. Got to get out of work for an hour, and my boss said I could. Started talking about some show him and his wife like to watch, and he mentioned it. I won't even name it for whatever. I'd never seen it. I've heard of it, but you guys probably... You know, watching, I don't want to think any less of you. No, I'm just kidding. And he was telling me about it, and he's telling me about Peter and all these disciples and all this and that going on. And I said, tell me about Jesus. What's he look like? How does the world personify a sinless man, a sinless savior? How does the world personify that on Hollywood? How do they make my savior? I mean, I was kind of getting furious at the time. I was just thinking about it. We were in a fantastic conversation, but I was kind of getting furious. I was thinking about it. The Lord gave me just the right question to ask. He says, how do, they, how do they portray my Savior? How do they portray this man to be sinless? And he had no answer. He had no answer, which I expected. And then we started talking about the gospel, and we started talking about salvation. I was able to give him the gospel, and come to find out he, he, he believes he was already saved, and Uh, You know, he didn't want to push it any further than that. But i tell you what, at the end of that conversation, he asked me out of the blue the craziest thing. Can we pray? I'm like, (laughs) you want to pray right now? I mean, of course my answer was, let's pray. This was at work. Strangest thing. All because we started talking about my wounded Savior. All because we started talking about the man that he would seen on TV, and that's all he knew. I want to tell you, Christians, don't overlook the wounds of the Savior. Don't overlook the power of the wounds that your Savior bore. Not only did he bear them for you, he bore them for every man, woman, and child that walked the face of this earth. And if if you get a moment, if you get just a second to talk to someone about those wounds, I'm telling you, take it. Take it. If you would, turn for your first Peter, go over to Revelation chapter 1. The Bible says Jesus Christ did no sin. We turn over to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to hit this for just a second, just another cross reference to show you that God's own people, God's own people, His own people pierced Him. Say that ten times fast. His own people pierced Him. Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Revelation chapter one and verse seven. Behold he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. His own people pierced him when they came unto him. And you know what I was at the I was at the jubilee last month and you know what everyone had a platform to talk about Israel 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 everything crazy was going on in Israel right when we got there a month ago things were heated. Were they not, brother? Things were heated. And not one second of one message was spent talking about the nation of Israel. The crisis, the war, none of it. You know what they spent time doing? They spent time lifting up our Savior, Jesus Christ. They spent talk- about talking about the one who matters. The one which every eye is going to look upon. The one which they pierced. And every eye is going to see him. Instead of talking about the mess going on over there, what about thinking about the ones, all the kindreds of the earth that are going to wail because of him when he comes back at his second coming? Christian, I'm telling you what was so refreshing for me was looking back on that moment and saying, thank God I just got to get unplugged from the mess of the world for just a few moments and hear about my Savior. I'm going to move on for sake of time, but the victory in our lives comes from the wounds that he bore. They come from the wounds that he bore. They don't come from our wounds. Our our wounds remind us of where we come from. Our Savior's wounds? Man, that's where the victory comes from. The more I study about my Savior's pain, the less pain I realize I have. You ever think about that, Christian? You study about your Savior. You study about the cross he bore, the the crown he wore on his head, the stripes that he took that he us. The more I look at the sufferings of my Savior, it'll help you, Christian. It'll help you. Like I had mentioned back in the book of Ruth, if you'd like to turn there, I really got to imagine she had questioned what it is she signed up for. This girl, Ruth, she wasn't weak. She wasn't weak at all. She was just a follower. She was just a follower of Naomi. She saw something good, she saw something that could be. She had a vision. She had hope. She had hope in God. The Bible says she wasn't just a weak person. She was a follower of the Boaz even says the whole city knew that she was a virtuous woman. Look at verse or chapter 3 verse 11. Ruth 3:11 and now my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. The whole city knows this is a virtuous woman. And you know what, it doesn't take long when she's in that city of Bethlehem, they're now back to Naomi's hometown. Y'all understand the story? And it doesn't take long before Ruth makes her name known, not because she was showy, not because she was anything special, just because she kept her head down and did what she was supposed to do. And Naomi's testimony about her must have been mighty good. It says the whole city knows a virtuous woman. She's not weak. She's not weak. But God put something deep down inside of that girl that says, stay. You need to stay with her. You need to stay with that woman, Naomi. You need to stay. You know what I take home from that, Christian? (laughs) You need to stay. You ever question it? Got every reason just to run back to what you used to do? who you used to run with, what you used to know, the gods you used to worship back in Moab. You know, Moab's a type of the world. Bethlehem, I think, is the house of bread. She uprooted from the world and went to where she knew the bread was. Christians, I know what it's like to question it, like we talked about just a few minutes ago. (laughs) Let's work on our dedication this evening. I want to encourage you, church, because the day is coming soon when all the promises that you've made, God, all the sacrifices, all the time sacrifices, all the training, all the devotionals, everything you've put into this Christian walk that you don't think is paying dividends yet, I'm telling you what, it's all going to pay off one day soon. And you know what I call that? I call that dedication. That's dedicated to something that you don't know exists. Outside of what the Holy Spirit of God put inside of your chest because He gave you a book. That's how we know there's a place called heaven because the Holy Spirit of God came and entered into your life, and you're by faith trusting that this crazy book is, is real? Huh. I mean, y'all are something special. You're dedicated to what you are, you're dedicated. God's calling you to stay. He's calling you to stay because sometimes when you don't know what's good for you, he does. Sometimes when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, he's like, hey man, I'm gonna bind you up. I'm gonna patch you up. Just take care of you. Just sit a while. Take all the time that you need and get healed up. Get strengthened. You know, actually, I got a field for you over here. You don't know it yet, but I got a field for you over here to go glean in. Captains be one of your near kinsmen. Ruth winds up in a place she had never expected in a million years. We're going to look at that here in just a second. You know, I'm no charismatic, but I'm telling you what, it's time we start taking, giving God a little bit of credit and believing in the promises of God. Take advantage of being in the family, church. Ruth did. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Ruth took advantage of being in the family of God. And Naomi, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me, know, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. So chances that Naomi happened to have a kinsman back where they were going. She probably didn't know what's been going on with this kinsman for 10 years now they've been gone, the Bible says. Sure enough, they get back to where they are, and Boaz is a well-established man, a wealthy man, the Bible says. Likely the most wealthiest man in all of Bethlehem. He's got a field, and he's got servants, he's got maidens, he's got a full-blown operation going on. I don't think Ruth knew this when she was going back. I don't think Naomi knew this when she was going back. What's the chance that the Bible says you just happed upon the field? Happed upon the right place at the right time. The only way you're going to happen upon the right place is the right time. I'm telling you what, Christians, is if you stay. You not only stay in fellowship with God, but you stay where God wants you to stay. You stay where God wants you to stay. This world is pushing us, is pushing us unprecedented speeds to do, 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 and go faster. Go quicker, go harder, more convenience. How are you ever going to learn to stay? You know how I learned to stay? I slow my eyes down and get them on something black and white that forces me to slow down. I can't do it on my smartphone. I can't even scroll the the Bible. It just doesn't work. Something about an old-fashioned book. And I know there's some people who like to read because ah, reading's cool, right? Like we used to make fun of kids that read in school because we were all a little bit, you know, special. And now I'm like, man, I wish I would have spent a little more time trying to be a better reader in school because now I've got something to read. You know what I'm saying? My wife is a little bookworm, and thank God she's got all the brains. She's got the brains. I don't. (laughs) I get it. Spend time reading. So all you folks that like to read, youngins like to read, keep doing it. You're going to be sharper. You're going to be more well-prepared to serve your Savior when you get to a place where you've got some big decisions in life to make. Learn to slow down and read. Learn to slow down and read. You know what I love about this? Ruth took advantage of being in the family, but she's taking advantage of being in the family of a dedicated one. I'm going to tell you about my dedicated one real quick, and we'll breeze through this. We're almost done. I say that kind of loosely. Ten, fifteen minutes. Our Savior is dedicated. The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, He says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know you got one who's dedicated to you? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Over in Hebrews chapter 7, He says, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's able to save them. And he's able to sing, he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds exhausting. There's a God that not only can save us, but he ever lives to make intercession for us. Not just you, but you, 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 and me. He makes intercession for us. You know, that's a, that's a God that doesn't grow tired, that's a God that doesn't grow weary, that's a God that doesn't have a schedule. You know what I'm learning is just not make a schedule. I, 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 that's a mistake, but God always seems to have a way of changing my plans. But thank God for it. Sometimes those are the times when, hey, roll calls run running an hour and a half because it's only supposed to run 20 minutes. You end up getting to pray with a, a co-worker. Thank God my schedule isn't all dictating in my way or the highway. I got a Savior who's dedicated, I want to be a little bit like him. Just a little bit. And I'm telling you what, you invest a little bit of time slowing down and opening up this book. Oh, man. You get to see and you get to read and you get to learn about the one who bore those wounds by whose stripes you are healed and you get to learn about the one who makes intercession for you. Where are you going to learn about that in this world? I'm telling you what, we got a God who doesn't grow tired, he doesn't grow weary. I can't even hardly take care of my family and I'm exhausted. This guy makes intercession for all of us. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, he says he's an unchange- he's, he is an unchangeable priesthood. God himself is an unchangeable priesthood. Let me explain. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, it defines that thing out a little further. A prophet, a priest, and a king, which is, which was, and which is to come. He's all of those things, and he's everywhere at any given moment. Not only is he a God of the past, a God of the present, but he's a God of the future. Man, I'm so thankful he can take care of everything. I'm so glad we've got an unchangeable priest, priesthood. It's all three of those things wrapped up in one. It just reminds me of the Trinity. He's dedicated. You know who else is dedicated? Our pastor who stands behind this pulpit. Believe it or not, this sounds weird, and this is, uh, this, is, this is how God works, and this has nothing to do with any sort of input or advice a uh, pastor gave me whatsoever. I woke up this morning, and God told me, be ready to preach today. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> like, I'm going to the, I, I got a lot going on today, and this and that. and Like I said, it ended up working out for the better. But I'm telling, you know what I told God? I said, God, I want to hear my pastor preach. That's, that's who I like to hear preach. I want to hear my pastor preach because he feeds me. Because he's dedicated his life to this ministry. He's dedicated his life. And not only that, his family's also been dedicated to this ministry because of the vow that he took to God. And thank God for him. Have they helped you? No, they've helped me. Telling you, Pastor, Pastor, from all of us, we need you. We need you. You never know who's watching. Maybe some young punk, 19, 20, 21-year-old kid. I was when I met him. I needed someone to confide in. I needed a man to lead me. I needed someone to fill a void in my life when I had nowhere else to go. I had God, but I didn't have a man to lead me. We need you, Pastor. Mamas, I'm talking about dedication. Your dedication is priceless. Your dedication is priceless. I will make any humorous jokes or nothing about it. Your dedication is priceless. <coughs> what you do, this uh, is a thankless position. Something interesting here, I, I get the privilege of working at the airport and we, uh, we all oftentimes have a, a, a Secret Service detail come through when the president's coming in. and Sometimes we get to uh, intermingle with them when the president's coming in and they set up shop and we've got to converse with them about fire suppression and medical and dec- decon and things like that. But you know when I get to talking to those guys, you know what they'll say? And you know what multiple of them have said to me? You say they got some, they got some, some wise words of advice. I thought this was pretty good. It's coming from the mouths of Secret Service agents. We're not loyal to the man, they say. Not loyal to the man, he's just the man. We're loyal to the office. I thought that was pretty good. Loyal to the office. They're willing to risk their life, yes, for the man, but for the office. That would be an honor for them, no matter who's in office, to take one to the chest for the person who sits in that spot. Maybe a little bit of practical application for you as a Christian. What are you loyal to, Christian? I ask myself, what am I loyal to? Is it that one pet sin that you can't let go of? Is it just that one thing you can't let go of? God, I've given you everything else. All to Jesus, I surrender. Is there that one thing that you can't let go of, Christian? I know how it works. I do. Maybe it's that one restaurant you know you shouldn't be going to anymore, but I enjoy it. I'm not saying don't take your family out to eat. Please go take your family out to eat. I'm guilty of... Never mind. It's not time for confessions. Maybe it's that... Well... They're not cigarettes. It's okay to have a cigar, isn't it? I know how the Christians are. I can just have my cigar, can't I? I know how it is. Got saved in the big box church. All the Christians. Now I know I'm not talking to many of you in here. Maybe a couple. Maybe one. What's that pet sin you're loyal to, Christian? I don't know what it is. I know you do. Ruth had a dedicated mind. We see that in verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 18. Let's keep moving here. Chapter 1, verse 18. She's got a dedicated mind. Her mind was steadfast. I already read the verse when she saw chapter 1, verse 18 that she was steadfastly minded to go with her then she left speaking under her. Christians, when I come to church, I'm just telling you this a little bit of just practical help. When I come to church, I'm not coming just to hear preaching. I'm not coming just to check a box off for the week, right? I want to be affected by the preaching. That's what I'm coming for. I, I'm coming to be affected by the preaching. Because before I know it, I'm going to walk out of those doors. And the seed of the word of God is going to be... Bloop, gone. You know what I'm saying? It's like the parable, right? I don't care if the birds come and get it. If the thorns choke it out. Or if the sunlight scorches it. I'm telling you, before... If you want to do business with God, the time to do business is God when, is when God is doing business. It's not when you open up those doors and feel that, that cold air hit your face. It's not when you lay down at bed before. Uh, it's not when you put your head down on the pillow tonight. When it's time to be affected by the preaching, it's time to be affected by the preaching. Because I'm telling you, this world is going to strip you naked. It's how it works. That's how, that's how, that's how this system works. It's almost like a now or never sort of thing. So I'm telling you this, and maybe this will help some of you. When our preacher gets back, and maybe even tonight, if you get just a little bit of help, the next time you come in here, say, God, I want to be affected by the preaching. I am steadfastly minded, like Ruth. I want to be dedicated. You see, I got saved in a big box church. It's all about works. That's how you proved your dedication, was works. Do, do, do. That's what we do. That's how you prove your dedication. Church build day, I'll be there. Uh, Church work day, church uh, whatever, passing out food day. We had so many days. Oh my gosh. So many days. We've been there. Some of us got, got, uh, um, thank God not brainwashed by that mess. Lulled to sleep is maybe more like it. Um, Lulled to sleep is a good one. Or worked worked to death. Work to sleep, I guess, uh, they just wear you out. But that's how you prove your dedication. Ruth here proves her dedication by offering her life. Naomi, where you go, I go. Verse 17, where thou diest, will I die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if all but death part thee and me. Reminds me of my Savior, offered his life. And he says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus Christ's works weren't always of a quantity, even though they were of a quantity. The Gospel of John says, if all those works could be written down and contained in a book, the earth could not even contain them. Jesus Christ's works were of a quality. Christians, let's get our mind on something of quality, something of substance, something that's got a little bit of meaning behind it. Not just the check in the box sort of Christian, not just the hearing the preaching sort of Christian, but hey, I'm going to come in and I'm going to absorb some of what's going on in this place. I'm going to absorb some of the fellowship. I'm going to make some new friends. I'm going to go out of my way and talk to some people because I think that's what God wants me to do. You've come to a safe place, Christians, where you can be affected by the preaching, where you can let your guard down and be affected by the preaching. So, why do we fuss so much? Why do we as human beings fuss so much in church, at home? Kind of the opposite of what we're talking about here tonight, the opposite of dedication. Why do we gripe? Why do we complain? The best reason I can think of is because we're insecure. You know, my girls, when they get insecure, they start. You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? When something's not going their way, when they're fighting over the TV channel, and yes, forgive me, my kids have watched TV a couple times, okay? <laughs> when something's not going one way or the other's way, my little angels will sometimes bicker back and forth. Now, my wife didn't know I was watching her, and this was last, uh, well, we were in Florida. But the girls were doing their thing, right? And it was over something really important, Right? And my wife just said, girls, you know, kind of girls. Yeah, I see you looking at me. Just breathe. And you know what I let one, one of them let out the cutest little holy grunt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And it wasn't like a rebellious, like, oh, it was like a trying to breathe sort of thing. Like, oh they fight because they're insecure and I oftentimes think as adults we're no different than they are there's things that we're insecure about in this life and instead of maybe just zipping our mouths and not saying anything we feel like we've got to voice our opinion and complain i don't see any of that in ruth's life come to think of it i don't see any of that here in the chapter the only complaining i see is when boaz goes to offer to the other kinsmen this piece of property, the guy finds out that the Moabitus woman is part of the deal, and he says, Ugh, I don't want to mar my name with the Moabite woman. He says, you can have the land, and you can have the girl. Boaz says, thank you, God, because he finds a virtuous woman. Sometimes we do ourselves a favor to just breathe. Thank God for what we got. Thank God for what we don't have. Maybe our view of dedication isn't quite what the Lord's is. I'm not suggesting in closing here that we wear ourselves out working, working, doing, doing like I mentioned. But rather ask God what you have, what he would have you to do and just try to find a way to be happy doing that. What I see here is Ruth's dedication mixed with faith, and I've got a feeling that's why her motive was pleasing to her Heavenly Father. When your desire is to do right, when your true desire is to do right in God's eyes, I think it becomes that much easier to find His grace in your life when you need it the most. It's not a scrambling, God, now I really, really need you, like this time I really mean it. No, because He's been there All along. Ruth found grace in God's eyes. We're going to read these last two verses and I'm done. Chapter 2, verse 13. Ruth found grace in God's eyes because she knew the one she needed to go to. She knew it from the beginning and she was steadfastly minded to get to him and stay with Naomi no matter what the cost because she was dedicated. Chapter 2, verse 13. Then she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord. For that thou hast comforted me, for with that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though it be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. She found grace in Boaz's eyes. So much so that she not only went from gleaning in the fields, literally just a beggar, to sitting down at the master's table and eating of the fresh picked food. <laughs> Reminds me of my Heavenly Father Jesus Christ, who offered me a wounded hand, memories pierced. And He brought me in to sit me down at the table, just like, was it Mephibosheth? Slid him in there and said, hey, fresh cooked meal for you here. Don't be a stranger here now, okay? You stay a while, would you? Mealtime is coming, Christian, when you're going to break bread with your Savior and you're finally going to have some true rest. So I want to ask you this evening. How's your mind? How's your mind doing? How's your heart? And how is your relationship with him. Oftentimes what I notice is there's a disconnect between here and here. Obviously I know that's my fault. But when I know I've been yoked up with him the whole time, those little slips, they're not too hard to get back on track. But when I've been out, when I've been laying out, when I've been backslidden, boy, that hand that's reaching down trying to pick me up, uh, man, sure looks like a mighty far away up. So God, I'm just trusting in your grace this whole time. Let's go ahead and bow our head and close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the word of God that we have here this evening, and I thank you that we've got a reason to be dedicated. I thank you that you've given us examples like we talked about all throughout our Bible so that we can learn from history the path of least resistance.